Thank you, Jordan, and welcome to our services tonight. We're grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're thankful for our members and visitors and those who come here on a weekly basis. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God, and to enjoy a period of fellowship with one another. Tonight, I want us to look at 1 John chapter 1, and really, we're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 1 down through chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And the theme of our study tonight has to do with the confidence that we ought to have in our relationship to the Lord. To me, every child of God, every Christian, ought to live with an air of confidence. And there are some reasons why we ought to be confident in this life, especially as it pertains to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to look at some reasons why I believe as God's people we ought to be confident about the relationship that we sustain with the Lord. I want to begin tonight by talking about the facts as they pertain to Jesus. In order for us to be confident in our relationship to the Lord, we have to first of all understand that Jesus is deity that he is who he claims to be. And there are some reasons why I believe we can put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And John makes that abundantly clear in 1 John chapter 1. As we think about the facts as they pertain to Jesus, let me just begin by suggesting that there is a body of testimony that has been given unto us that hopefully will inspire confidence in our faith in the Lord. Let me first of all call attention to the testimony of the saints. John, of course, was a saint, but also he was an apostle. He had been chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ, numbered among the 12. In Luke chapter six, Jesus was said to have spent the night in prayer prior to selecting these men to fulfill this office. But as we think about the testimony of the saints, listen if you would to what John says beginning in verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life, the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. John here speaks of those who had the opportunity to literally be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. John, of course, numbered among those people. And John is employing some of the empirical senses to state to readers of all ages that Jesus was not a fictitious character, but rather he was indeed in human flesh. He embodied human flesh. John would say in John chapter one at verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John identifies Jesus as the eternal word, that logos. The Son of God has always existed from the very days of eternity. He has no beginning and no ending. Thus, he is deity. But we talk about the senses. John uses three of the five senses to state to his readers that Jesus is a real person, that he was a real person. Listen again to what he said. That which was from the beginning, which we have what? Which we have heard. Did they have the opportunity to hear firsthand the words of the Son of God? Yes, they did, over and over again. They had the opportunity to sit in the presence of Jesus and to listen to him preach and teach and encourage. In John chapter 6, when many of the disciples were going back and no longer walking with Jesus, he asked the question, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. They heard the Son of God. And then listen to what he says. Which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. Not only did they audibly hear the Son of God, but visibly they saw him. They could identify Jesus in the flesh. John said down in verse 3, that which we have seen, we declare to you. Over and over again, they saw firsthand the Son of God. Why is it important for us to look at the testimony of the saints? Well, the reason is because it helps to build our faith. We understand that we're not putting our faith in some myth, some fable. As a matter of fact, Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 said, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He makes reference to Jesus being transfigured on the mountain. And he said, we heard God the Father speak from the excellent glory. What did God say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Peter said, and we heard that voice which came forth from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So John is saying in 1 John chapter 1 that not only did we hear him, but we saw him. And then listen to what he said. And our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Did they, have, did they have the opportunity to put their hands on the body of Jesus? Did they have the opportunity to see firsthand the Son of God? Yes, they did. You remember Thomas in John chapter 20? Jesus had died, buried, been buried, and the Bible tells us that he arose from the dead three days later. John, however, tells us that Thomas did not believe because he was not present when Jesus initially appeared to the apostles. He wanted firsthand evidence. So what did Jesus say? Jesus said to Thomas, look, investigate for yourself. You see the handprint of the nails? In my hands? You want to examine my side that has been riveted by a spear? Thomas then responded by saying, My Lord and my God. And so, John here is trying to encourage readers of all ages to understand that look, we are putting our faith and our trust in Jesus as the Son of God. 
Simon Peter, as well as the other apostles, disciples, were asked on one, on one occasion, whom do you say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say that you're John the Baptist, others Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist or one of the prophets. And Jesus then asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now just pause there for a minute. Peter here recognized that in Jesus was deity, the very Son of God. And that's what John is saying here. Jesus was God incarnate. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul would say in about verse, well in about verse 9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So Jesus was God incarnate. But there's a second thing I want you to see as we think about the facts as they pertain to Jesus. Not only do we have the testimony of the saints, but we have the testimony of the scriptures. Drop down and look, if you would, with me at verse 4. In verse 4, John said, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. John here is talking about the scriptures, the word of God. Is it not the case that God's word pointed to the coming of the Son of God? Go back and look at the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis and going forward to Malachi. Those Old Testament writers were saying over and over and over again, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is coming. We get to Matthew. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say, the Christ has come. And then from Acts to the book of Revelation, the writers are saying, the Christ, Jesus, is coming again. The scriptures provide us with testimony about Jesus, that he is who he claimed to be. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus would say to the people of his day, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. He said, these are they which testify of me. And Jesus here is simply saying that the Old Testament scriptures that had been penned by holy men of God in days gone by, that they were verifying that he was the very Son of God. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 44, prior to his ascension to heaven, Jesus said to the disciples that these are the things which he had spoken to them about, that all things had to be fulfilled which had been written about him in the scriptures. That is, in the law of Moses and in the Psalms and in the prophets. The Old Testament pointed to the coming of Christ. And so you have great testimony there. In John chapter 5, Jesus would again say to those people of his day, he said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Why is that? Because he said, he wrote about me. Moses pointed to the coming of the Son of God. Now we talk about the New Testament and the fact that the New Testament provides us with abundant testimony about the claims of Jesus. Take for example John chapter 20 at verse 30 where John said truly many of the signs did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But he said these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. In chapter 21 he would talk about himself as that disciple that has testified and has written these things. That is, he 
chronicled the life, a narrative, if you please, about Jesus. And so, the purpose of that was to encourage us to put our faith and trust in him. Do you believe the evidence? We talk about our relationship to the Lord and having confidence in our relationship to the Lord. One of the reasons that we ought to be confident in our relationship to the Lord is that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. He's the son of God. And that's something that has been proven time and again. We have ample, we have ample testimony. I think about what Luke recorded in Acts chapter 3. The second gospel sermon preached by the apostle Peter. And Peter talked about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said, we are witnesses to this fact. Let me tell you what. The apostles and other first century saints, they were willing to die for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were not willing to die for a myth or a fable or some fictitious character. But rather their faith and trust was in the Son of God. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight. And that is, not only do we have the facts as they pertain to Jesus, but we have fellowship in Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we have the opportunity to be a part of a unique fellowship. There are two dimensions to the fellowship that we enjoy. First of all, there is what I would call vertical fellowship. That is, we have fellowship with deity, God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 3. John said, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Are you a child of God? Have you obeyed the gospel? If you are a part of the body of Christ, then you have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 at verse 9, Paul said, God is faithful who has called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How do I enjoy fellowship with deity? I obey the gospel, don't I? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God according to Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. The remedy for sin is the blood of Christ. And the only way that we can appropriate or contact the blood of Christ is by being baptized into Christ. And our baptism into Christ is preceded by faith in Jesus as the Son of God. We believe his claims, that he is who he said he was. Jesus would say in John chapter 8, verse 24, except you believe that I'm he, he said you'll die in your sins. Furthermore, the Lord would say that we have to repent. That is, we have to turn from a life of sin, get out of the sinning business. Luke 13, 3. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then we willingly confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart, that he is the son of God, like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. The Bible then says that we're baptized into Christ so that every sin might be washed away. It's in that context that we are said to be delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. And Paul would say, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. So when you obey the gospel, when we obey the gospel, we are brought into a very special relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. 
Now, fellowship, the word fellowship, carries with it the idea of joint participation, communion. We have, we have the privilege of knowing that God is with us at all times. Think, think for a minute about some of the great blessings of enjoying fellowship with God. We can communicate with him 24-7. Peter said, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. To know that God the Father will hear your prayers. The Hebrew writer said, let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are a lot of folks in our world today that struggle. And there are a lot of heartaches and a lot of sorrows and a lot of unhappiness in our world. And yet, as a child of God, when times get grim, when things are not going well, we can turn to the Lord. Why? Because we have fellowship with God. We are said to be heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We are a part of the family of God. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But these are some of the intrinsic blessings that we enjoy in Christ. The Hebrew writer said, speaking of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. To know that God will stand by me, come what may. Times may be going great, wonderful, the Lord will stand by me. Times may be going difficult, wonderful, God will stand by me. Whatever the case may be, the Bible says God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Good times, bad times, the Lord is there. And so we have vertical fellowship. That is, we have fellowship with deity. We have, we have the privilege of knowing that God is in our corner. But then what about our horizontal fellowship? That is, the fellowship that we enjoy with the disciples. Listen again to what John said in verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. Drop down and look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. As a child of God, we are people of like precious faith. There is a common bond that unites all of us together. That common bond is our relationship to God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. We are a part of God's family. And we enjoy, we sustain fellowship in that context. It was said of the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. The fellowship that we enjoy is not limited by geography, but rather the fellowship that we enjoy is universal in nature. Every person that has obeyed the gospel is a part of this fellowship. And so, what a great blessing. Now we talk about some of the benefits and the blessings of fellowship, horizontally speaking. Did you know that as God's people, since we are family, that we, well, there are a lot of things that, that we do for one another. We pray for one another, don't we? We have the opportunity to pray for one another on a regular basis. Paul would say to the church at Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, he said, Brethren, pray for us. We can, we can go to God in prayer on behalf of one another. Why is that? Because we're people of like precious faith. We have this common bond, and we can pray for one another. And as a result of that 
as a result of those prayers, we, we derive encouragement and comfort. We pray for one another. We share with one another. We help one another, don't we? Do you remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10? Let us, as we have opportunity, do good unto all men, especially those which are of the household of faith. One of the great blessings of being a member of the church is knowing that we stand shoulder to shoulder, that we help one another when times are rough. I have seen that happen among Christians. Why is that? Because we are bound together by a common thread. We pray for one another. We help one another. We share with one another. We care for one another. The Bible tells us that God cares for us but we genuinely care for one another. It is a cruel world, and there are a lot of cruel folks in this world, and there are a lot of folks that you can't turn to when times are rough. But isn't it, isn't it encouraging to know that we can turn to one another, that we can stand by one another? I don't know how people make it, who aren't Christians. Let me tell you what, life is tough. I was reading, I saw, well, I was reading actually an excerpt from a book this past week. And the guy made one simple statement that I believe is profound. Here's what he said, life is difficult. If you haven't learned that, brace yourself because you'll learn it one day. Life is not easy. And yet, as God's people, we're there for one another. Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 15? Paul said that we are to weep with them that weep and rejoice with them that rejoice. You ever stood by somebody that's lost a loved one? You ever been there to comfort, encourage, and support them? Well, why do you do that? Because we care, because that's what the Lord would want us to do, and because in so doing, we are an encouragement. That's what we're supposed to do, because we're family, because we are a part of this broad fellowship, fellowship that ought to be sweet to us. There's a third thing that I want to share with you in our study tonight, and that is the fullness of joy that we have in Jesus. In verse four, John said, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. I wanna ask you a question tonight. Do you have a sense of joy in your life? I remember when I was a young fella, a little fella, I guess I should say, and we used to sing a song about joy. Got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. As God's people, we ought to be joyful people. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, Rejoice. Why do you think we ought to be joyful? John said, look, I'm writing these things so that your joy might be full. 
Our cup ought to run over with joyfulness. I'm not talking about that superficial, artificial type of joy, but I'm talking about this deep-seated joy that resides deep within us because of our relationship to the Lord. Let me just give you some reasons why we ought to be joyful. First of all, there is forgiveness. In verse 5, John said, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John is writing to Christians. He is writing to inspire, to encourage those people. These people are believers. They have obeyed the gospel. And what they're striving to do is live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. How would you describe faithfulness? Well, listen to what John said. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All John is saying is, those who are faithful are people who are striving to the best of their ability to walk in harmony with the will of God. Let me give you a couple of verses along these lines. In John chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. In 2 John 9, John said, Whoever goes onward and abides not in the doctrine of Christ has not God. But he said, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. John is saying, when we abide in the doctrine of Christ, that is, in the word of Christ, as we walk in the light, and those are synonymous phrases, then we enjoy fellowship with one another, we have fellowship with deity, and we have the assurance that the blood of Christ is at work in our lives. Now, as a child of God, you ever make a mistake? You ever give in to temptation? You ever fall short of what you know God would have you to do? Let me tell you what. I can honestly say that I failed in that respect. That I, that I have made mistakes in my life. Would you say the same? Well, the answer would be yes. Why? Because we're human beings, aren't we? John said that sin is transgression of the law. We know that the devil's doing everything within his power to distort and disrupt our faith in God. Sometimes we have what the Hebrew writer would define as those besetting sins, certain weaknesses in our life. Well, what happens when we fall short, when we give in to temptation? Is that the end of the road? Is it all over? No hope? No there is a difference in somebody struggling and falling short, having faults in his or her life, and somebody who just gives up and walks away and says, I'm done with this stuff. There is a difference in somebody who practices the truth and somebody who does not practice the truth. Listen again to what John said in verse 6. He said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If somebody's out here living the life of 
what we would call a rank sinner, somebody who's just gone back into the world. They may claim to be a child of God. John said, look, that person's living a lie. But to those of us that are trying to live the Christian life, we're, we're, doing, we're doing our best. We're giving our best day in and day out. What John is saying is, look, you have the blood of Christ at work in your life day in and day out. You can go to bed at night knowing that you are a child of God. Well, what, what happens if we fall short? What's the remedy for that? Well, listen to what John said. Picking up in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now drop down and look at chapter 2, verse 1. John said, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. What does God want me to do in this life? He wants me to rise above sin. He wants me to do my best, give it my all day in and day out. Well, what happens when I fall short? What happens when I don't meet this divine ideal that's set forth in the scriptures? Here's what John said. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What John is saying is, look, you stumble, you fall. Do you have faults in your life? Don't give up. You're not alone. There is hope. There's a remedy. The remedy is ask God to forgive you. Do what he says. What is it we do? Well, we repent. We rise up. Move forward. We just do our best. So there is forgiveness, a second byproduct that we enjoy that ought to bring joy to our lives is the fact that we are a part of God's family. In chapter 3, verse 1 and following, John would say, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. One of the things that ought to bring joy to our lives is knowing that we are a part of God's family. We are a part of the household of God, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2.20. Did you know that families stick together? They band together? They support one another, as we said just a moment ago? To know that we are a part of God's family. God has promised to save his family, hasn't he? Which suggests a third benefit, and that is we have a future. Before I talk about the future, I want to just mention something. And that is, in the context of having a family, we develop friendships, don't we? The Bible says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now I know that as children of God, we develop friendships with one another. And those friendships grow and blossom and become very special to us over time. But I would remind you that Jesus Christ is also our friend. Read John. Read the Gospel of John. The Lord Jesus Christ is a friend who will stick by you thick or thin. He will be with you. Why is that? Because that's what friends do, don't they? What about our future? In chapter 2, verse 25, John said, 
This is the promise that he has promised us. Listen to him. Eternal life. Do you want eternal life? The answer ought to be a resounding yes. All of us want eternal life. That's why we're living the Christian life. And one of the reasons why we live joyfully is because we know that we've got a future. I don't know what's going to happen in this world. I don't know what's going to happen to our nation. I couldn't tell you what's going to happen in our nation in the next 25 years, 50 years, or 75 years if the Lord allows this nation to stand. I don't know. But I know one thing. Whatever happens in this world will happen. But I have a home with the Lord. Jesus said on one occasion, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? If it's not, it ought to be. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, then you've got a future. Isn't it interesting that people spend a lot of time making preparations for a funeral? They'll take out life insurance policies because they want to ensure the stability of their family members. They'll take care of a lot of odds and ends and take care of this and that, but they sometimes forget about the most important thing. What is that? Their spiritual welfare. Let me tell you what. We're not going to get out of this world alive unless, it, unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes first. And so wisdom would dictate that we make preparation for eternity. I remember a preacher on one occasion was out door knocking. A friend of mine told me about this. And he said that on one occasion... This preacher went to the home of an individual and the person, I think, was outside and wasn't interested. And the preacher I'm talking about was Charles Cole. Brother Cole began to leave and then he stopped and turned around and said to that fellow, you know what? One day you're going to cross Jordan and you ought to think about that. At some point in time, we're going to step out into eternity and we ought to think about that. But as a child of God, we have a future. Here's what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What about your relationship to the Lord tonight? Are you living with confidence? If you're not living with confidence and you're a child of God, I want to encourage you, read the Gospel of John. Read 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It'll help build your faith. If you've never obeyed the Gospel of Christ, and I can understand why you don't have any confidence, and rightly so, but you can remedy that tonight by obeying the Gospel, becoming a child of God being baptized into Christ, being added to the body of Christ, and living faithfully until death. The promise being the crown of life. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, why not come home? Why not come back to the Lord? You know, when we meet, there are always people in the assembly that from time to time, well, there are always folks that need to make changes. It might be the case that you're here tonight and you're numbered among those who need to make changes. I don't know what's holding you back. 
Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's, maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's the things that are going on in, in the world. I don't know. But I know this. Don't wait too late. Make it right. Why not take the opportunity tonight to become one of his children as we stand and sing?